21st century skills and career and technical education are getting a lot of attention right now, and financial literacy is a big part of that. Research shows that kids start forming their financial beliefs and habits by the age of five. Today's sponsor, Mini Money Management, gives elementary and middle school teachers a seamless and simple way to integrate financial education into content learning while providing an effective classroom management tool. It allows teachers to easily meet national financial literacy standards. In fact, teachers who have used Mini Money Management report a 30% increase in financial literacy test scores. And that's without any direct instruction, simply a byproduct of the classroom practices. And students love it. They like being able to manage their own resources and rewards and report feeling more confident in their post-high school financial plans. Find Mini Money Management at edcuration.com via the Connect to Vendor button and inquire about their free pilot. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. My very first job, I, as a kid, used to take chess lessons from the community center. And when that person retired, my mom said, why don't you teach it? At this point, I think I was a junior or senior in high school. thought, oh, okay, I can do this. It's teaching them some basics of chess. And I went out to the community center, pitched them the idea. They said, okay. And I was now the teacher. Our guest today, Mark Hirschberg draws on nearly 20 years of teaching at MIT's Career Success Accelerator Program, a program that he helped create. His career has spanned half a dozen different industries. Mark has distilled all that experience into the key skills for a 21st century career, and you can learn about them and teach them to your students with the help of his newly released book, The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. The title made me laugh because this was my, I have grown children now. They're both college age, but this was their constant lament all the way through middle school and high school that they weren't learning any, they were learning all stuff that they didn't need and not anything that they did need. So I'm sure that they would really enjoy your book and probably have things to add. So it's interesting that teaching chess was your first job. Because that means you've kind of been an educator throughout your whole career. I mean, even since you were a kid. How has that progressed as you've cycled through different industries and you've always circled back to education? When I started my career, I was a software developer and realized I wanted to become a CTO. But the skills to be a CTO, a chief technology officer, the top engineer, included skills like leadership, communications, negotiating. No one ever taught me this. So I had to go learn on my own. I quickly realized these are skills I wanted other people that I hire, other people on my team, but they also weren't taught. So I had to develop my own training program. And I'm fortunate that my mother is a retired teacher. So she taught me some education techniques. 
Shortly after I had this program, MIT had started its own program on these topics. And when I heard about it, that they were developing, I said, you know, I've been working on this. Can I be of help? So they asked me to help create the program and then said, you're, you really bring something that our professors don't have. And wonderful professors, I'm not knocking them, but may aren't practitioners. They're not day in, day out in the workforce. Said, you're bringing something extra. Do you want to help teach it? And I've been fortunate enough that I and other people like me have now been teaching there for 20 years. Yeah. So you recognize that gap. And it sounds like MIT was also recognized that same gap that we're graduating content experts that don't necessarily have what now are being called soft skills or people skills or even pedagogical skills. So you were able to bring all of that. Can you provide a little bit more detail or more of an overview of that program? What exactly does it include? Yeah, first, I just want to mention what you pointed out, that universities have the pedagogy, but not the practical skills. And there's a reason for that. Universities are run by professors. They're wonderful people, but if you're a professor, you probably have a PhD. You are an expert in the field. And so what happens, we show up to college and we say, I want to study marketing. So the marketing professors, the deep experts say, well, if you want to say you have marketing knowledge, you have to take this class and that class, some intros, some advanced classes. If you take all these classes, we will give you a bachelor's in marketing. And what does that degree mean? All it means is that you have achieved a certain level of knowledge in marketing. It doesn't mean you are a good marketer. It doesn't mean you're a good employee or you have other skills. All a degree says is you have achieved a certain amount of knowledge in a specific discipline. And that's typically been a proxy for good employee. I'm more likely going to hire a marketing major than an accounting major to do my marketing, but it's not sufficient. Now, MIT had done regular surveys of our corporate partners, the people who come and hire our students. And they said, what do you want to see? And they gave us a list of skills, which are not unique to MIT. I've seen the research from other universities, and it's consistent from one university to the next, that there is a shortage of these practical skills in our university and high school system. So give us the scoop on what is on that list. The list, I break it down into 10 skills, broken into three sections. So in my book, Section 1 Careers, how to think about a career, create a career plan, and execute on it. Chapter 2, workforce skills, managing your manager, understanding corporate culture, politics. Mm-hmm. Chapter three, interviewing. How do you answer these questions? How do you do a resume? What really shocked me, I've met many executives. They've hired many people, but have had zero interview training. Wow. And if we claim people are so important to our organization, why do we not train to get the right people? Great question. I have that question often. I don't know about you, but I encounter people regularly who don't seem like a good fit or even qualified for the role that they're in. And it usually has to do with the set of skills that Mark is talking about. Section two, leadership and management. I break down management into people and process. And these are the fundamental skills. That's not for someone with a senior title. It's the leadership skills you use from day one. And then the third section, communication negotiation, networking, and ethics. So good. So it sounds like the book, The Career Toolkit, was born out of the class. Am I right? 
I began by just trying to write up notes for our class. That was my goal. I'm going to write about 20 pages of notes so students have something to take away with them. And 20 became 40, became 80. And once it passed 100, I thought this might be a book. It was certainly influenced by 20 years of experience teaching at MIT. So the big question that is hanging in the air then, I think, as a result of what you just said, is that why? Why aren't we teaching them? I mean, we're at the college level, definitely. And now at the high school with the big focus recently on career and technical education, our understanding that these skills are needed and that they haven't been taught. Why haven't we been teaching them? Well, college, as we know it, is because of the professors who are focused just on their discipline. And unfortunately, colleges have not been very adaptive. We've noticed pressure over the last 20 some years of students saying, wait, I'm going how much into debt and why is this going to be a good return for me? They're finally starting to ask those questions. But prior to that, we just thought college, whatever it costs, it's worth it. And so now we're having these conversations. I unfortunately think it's going to take about 30 years for colleges to really adapt. At the high school level, high school, remember, is also designed in a reactive way. High school goes back about 150 years in the US. It's a relatively modern invention. And it was created for the industrialized workforce when we had to take people from the farms and put them into the factories. Well, now you had to read and write and do arithmetic. So we want to just get the basics. High school is just teaching you how to function in society, but the higher order functions, that's where we left it to college. And college has unfortunately come up short. I think this renewed focus on career and technical education that used to be kind of called vocational education, it's gotten a little bit of a makeover and is now being called career and technical education. But the intention is similar. So I think we're recognizing that every student isn't going to go to college and they still need to be prepared to enter the workforce. So I'm curious what applications the book and the the course that you teach would have for those students who are looking to enter careers straight out of high school? In chapter one of the book, it begins with a series of questions. What type of work do you find interesting? I don't mean job-wise. I mean task-wise. Do you want a structured nine-to-five job? Do you want a job where you set your own hours? Do you want a job where you're regularly moving and traveling and going to different offices? Or do you want to just stay, maybe work from home or work with the same people each time. There's a number of questions we start with, and that's going to help you focus on what might be interesting. Unfortunately, too much career education is, here's a doctor. This is what she does. Here's an accountant. This is what he does. And everyone just says, well, do I want to be an accountant? Yes or no. What we need to look at are the components. Are the Do you like to work with math, with computers? Do you want to be meeting new people? Do you want to not have to deal with new people? Once you get these components, which are usually easier questions for students to answer, and of course, you don't have to have the right answers at age 18 or even 24 for all this, but you start to have some sense. And when you say, well, I want to do some of this, but not some of that, you can then ask, what jobs give me this and not that? And that's going to help you explore opportunities rather than just saying, do you fit into the doctor slot or the accountant slot? So it starts with chapter one helping you figure out what is of interest. And then the various skills throughout the book are going to help you succeed in the roles that you take. And it sounds like this would be a great resource for high school students or teachers of high school students for those kiddos who have no idea 
that's where we begin. Because while there are some students who from age five know they want to do something, most of us do not. Mm-hmm. And even throughout the process described in the chapter, you're not fixed into something. It recognizes you might start out, come out of high school or college going in one direction, but then you're going to switch to something else. And it might be because you want to leave options open because you're not sure. And how can you create a plan that gives you those options? Or it might be you do a hard pivot. And how do you think about that? And so this maps out the different paths that you can take. I open with a quote from my friend, Jason Rosenhaus. Jason always said, always have a plan. Even a bad plan is better than no plan at all. That's really the philosophy in chapter one. Come up with a plan. Doesn't have to be perfect, but constantly revise that plan. If it's no longer working for you, change the plan. It's interesting because I taught high school and I also had teenagers of my own. And for some reason, so many of the kiddos struggled with this feeling that whatever they decide, it's like marriage and they're making a life commitment. And I try to communicate to them that, no, you're just taking one step. You're taking one step in a direction because you can't steer a car that's not moving, right? So just take a step. But every decision felt like such a life time commitment to them that they often, so many of them would flounder. There's two reasons why students get into that mindset. The first is because we give them role models who are one-dimensional. When we bring in that doctor and accountant, we say, this is the doctor. Not this is someone who started out doing something totally different and at age 26 decided she wanted to go back to med school. We leave that part out and we just say, here is the job. We also still have this myth of that lifetime employment from our parents' generation. They picked a job. They worked at one company their whole life, which, by the way, is completely false. People changed jobs about every five years back then. Now it's, I think, around 4 to 4.5. It was really not that different back then, but we had this, you pick one job and you stick with that company for decades. The other thing that students face is when you go to college, College makes you choose a major. Mm-hmm. And of course, your major is likely correlated to your job. It's definitely correlated. It's likely going to lead to your job. And students know this is a time commitment. This is a money commitment. And it's very hard to spend eighty, hundred eighty thousand dollars in four years and then say, oops, not right. Yeah. So they do feel that pressure. Mm-hmm. And we do need universities to also give them more potential exits coming out of undergrad. So talk about, talk to teachers for a minute, Mark, because I feel like what you said just now is so freeing and so enlightening. And I wish every high school student could hear that. What can teachers do to support those students at the high school level? How might they incorporate portions of your book into their curriculum or lessons? There's a number of things you can do. One, just on the previous topic, when you bring people in to talk about career day, have them talk about the twists and turns in their careers. Have them talk about the failure in their career. So students know you're going to fail at some point in a job. And that's okay because we all have. Have them understand it's not a linear path and you make that choice now and you're stuck with it. You also want to focus on the components of the job. So don't just say, who wants to be a doctor? Say, who finds the science interesting? Who likes the idea that you're dealing with different patients every day as this doctor does? 
or maybe you're in long-term care and you do get to see the same patients over and over, which sounds more appealing? What other jobs will give you new people every day or the same people over and over? So focus on the job components. Have the students have discussions with each other and explore why are people picking choices different than mine? Maybe it's just because they have different preferences, or maybe they're thinking about things in ways I didn't think about and can get exposed to it. There's a whole bunch of other topics I think we need to teach in middle school and high school, including things like financial literacy, but also how to have an argument and disagree. Too often, when you're in high school, and certainly starting from elementary, the argument is whoever gets the mic drop, whoever gets that final you know, zinger that just convinced the other side, oh, okay, you really burned me on that one. And unfortunately, we see this now even in politics, whoever had that best one-liner. But in politics, the zinger should be, well, your policy is based on this research that really is flawed because it has a 15% error rate and there was a fundamental mistake in how they did the sampling. That is not a mic drop statement. I know, but it's what matters. Right. It should be in terms of content, but doesn't have that mic drop feel. And we need to teach students how you have a disagreement on substance, not on style. Stop the presses. We may need a whole episode on that alone. How do we teach disagreements based on substance, not style, when the opposite is modeled at pretty much every level of society up to the highest offices? Would anyone out there like to speak to this? Because I'd love to interview you. Anyway, moving on through Mark's list of skills. Negotiation, really important. Most people, unfortunately, think negotiation is when we sit down across the table and I am selling you something or taking a job and we have a very clear, I go high, you go low, and we meet in the middle. We're trying to get a lower price on a used car. But negotiations happen all the time on a near daily basis. In fact, they happen often with our coworkers. With people who think we're on the same side, but you're going to negotiate with your coworkers, we need to teach students basic negotiation skills because that's going to help them in the conflicts and disagreements. So all of these skills, we can take small pieces of it and it begins with a mindset shift in each of the topics. And then there are concrete actions and skills the students can do. I'm hoping you can give us some examples and unpack how your book actually teaches some of these skills that you've been talking about and how it helps teachers to do that. And within the book, at the end of each chapter, I do list, here are next steps you can do. Let's take an example. We'll take communication that we were just talking about. Okay. I talk about mental models in the book. So we're going to begin with a simple one. Left brain people, right brain people. And the students probably have some sense of this. Imagine you were trying to pitch your idea to someone who is extreme left-brained. How would you do it? Mm. You'd want to be very organized. You would have maybe a PowerPoint presentation, and here are the six bullet points, and there's sub-bullet points, and here's a logical argument that connects all of them together. And you've got a 30-minute presentation that goes step-by-step from the beginning to here's a logical conclusion why we should do this. Now, if you were trying to pitch the same idea to someone who's an extreme right-brain person, a 30-minute PowerPoint presentation would not work. I can confirm this. I'm one of those right-brain dominant people, and I actually banned the use of what my students and I referred to as death by PowerPoint in my speech classes. 
totally different engagement. What do you do there? You want to tell a story. You want to be inspiring. You want to be creative. And so we're going to choose different styles. And so it's recognizing we have different styles. So when you put the students together, and we do this with the students at MIT, we give them typically more than two models here, more than just left brain, right brain. And I break down different types of models and they all present and they know they're doing the same things, but they do it totally differently. Everyone says, wow, yeah, I know I'm hearing the exact same thing, but in such different ways. Now I recognize we can all communicate in a very different manner. So valuable. I remember when I would have students filing into my middle school, my junior high speech class, and I would tell them, this class is going to help you in every other class. These are the skills that students are going to need no matter what they do, no matter what they go into, and also in their personal lives, in their relationships. Communication and emotional and social awareness is just something that our students need to learn for every level of their life and in every area. A quick reminder to our listeners, if you're an elementary or middle school educator wondering how to incorporate some of these essential life skills into students learning before high school, our sponsor today has you covered. This is Lauren Jenkins, the CEO and original graduate of Mini Money Management. We are extremely excited to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. At MMM, we believe that every single student should leave school with a quality financial education. We provide teachers with a quality classroom management tool that integrates financial literacy into everyday learning. Find Mini Money Management at edcuration.com. It will increase learning, change the whole culture of your classroom, and make your job easier, and only cost you about five minutes a day to implement. That's an amazing ROI. What tips would you give those teenagers who are just trying to get their very first jobs at Good Times or McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever? They're out there trying to get their first job. This is where networking really comes in. Because if you are in high school, and I say this to my college students as well, you all look the same to me. Mm -hmm. You all have the same level of training and experience. And so it's hard to differentiate. Yeah, they don't have a resume. But one way you can differentiate is that if your parents know this other person who knows the owner of the place you want to work, what you have there is a chain of trust. And that's what helps you stand out. And now a lot of students, even at the college level, say, well, I can't network. I don't know anyone. I just know other students. But you know parents, you know teachers, you might know people through your community groups, your religious groups. Mm -hmm. start to talk to them and see what doors they can open. And that's really the best way to get your first job. So teach them how to network. Absolutely. And that's another skill that is going to serve them throughout their lifetime. Okay. So now talk to that kid who has their first job and they know it's just a stepping stone. It's just a summer job. They're just doing it to earn some cash, but it's an opportunity, right? For them to learn some things, to maybe connect to their next step, talk to that kid about how to leverage and really take advantage of the opportunity they have and not just be that person who's filling a space. It's a massive opportunity. Now, it begins by doing your job and always making sure you get your work done. But off if you're a summer intern, they're not giving you, if it's in office, a full load of work. You might be able to finish it with time to spare. If you're doing a job that's maybe more physical manual labor, 
there will still be some downtime or you can spend time after your shift. Now, here's the thing. If I walked into your company and started wandering around to people at their desks, security would come and throw me out. I'm not allowed in there. But you can walk up to just about anyone in the office and you can walk over to someone and say, hi, I'm a summer intern and I'm curious, what do you do here? Or tell me about your department or it looks like you're working on something interesting. Ask questions. People love to talk about themselves, including what they do. So they will find it flattering. They also know what it's like to be an intern. So they're going to be generally responsive. They might be busy at the moment. Respect that and say, well, maybe there's another time next week. But talk to these people. In doing so, you're going to get exposed to more types of jobs and work. You can build relationships because if you want a job next summer outside of college, these people will know you. They might even go to other companies and they'll still know you and can get you into these other companies. So once you are through the doors, you're in a very privileged position, begin to meet people inside the company and learn from them. And you might discover that business definitely isn't what you want to do, but you've learned something, right? You've at least taken advantage of the opportunity. And I can tell you most managers will probably really appreciate that initiative. Yeah, right? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't appreciate that versus the kid who like is taking his third smoke break out in the back? So um, I'm just curious what things you really wish that you had learned in high school that you weren't taught that you came out thinking, why didn't they teach me this? Pretty much every skill in the book. (laughs) I didn't know how to network. I didn't really appreciate what networking was about. There were negotiations that I screwed up. So I always give this example. Imagine your first job out of college and you get a job offer for $60,000, but you've learned to negotiate. So you go and negotiate the job and you get 61,000. That's not a huge negotiation. We can imagine you might be able to swing that. If you do nothing else for the next 40 years, you've just earned $1,000 more for 40 years. One five-minute negotiation just got you $40,000. Isn't that worth reading a book or taking a class to get $40,000? Yeah. And of course, you're going to say, well, you don't sit in a job for 40 years. That's right. Mm -hmm. You have other jobs and promotions. In fact, just learning to negotiate, not about being the best negotiator in the world, just getting a little bit better is going to earn you tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. My God, when you look at it that way, we should be teaching everyone to do this. And in fact, the secret is with negotiations, it's obvious. We negotiate and boom, there's a thousand dollars more. It's not as clear that someone says you're a better leader or communicator. So here's a thousand dollars more. It's more subtle, but we know that happened. You stand out, you get that promotion, you get that next job that comes with more money. In fact, all of these skills give you this massive return, but we don't bother investing in these skills in our students. So how did you learn how to negotiate? I've done negotiation case studies, and this is a great way to do it. There are basically role-playing exercises. This is another thing you can do with your class. And in these, everyone gets a, the same setup sheet. And we all read about how the factory wants to build in the town. And there's disagreement between people who want to get the rich people who are saying, oh, good, it will lower our taxes. The poor people saying it's going to be more noise because you're building it right next to us and a whole bunch of different parties. And then they each have their own role sheets. You're a rich person. Here's what it means to your taxes. 
but you're willing to trade off on these. You're, you're a town administrator. Here's what you want. So then everyone walks into the room and you play your role sheet and you try to get the best deal you can, recognizing if you push for one that's too strong, the other people aren't going to go along with it. And everyone role plays for 45 minutes or an hour and you have a real negotiation after which you sit there and debrief and talk about what happened. Do an interactive experience. It's more like baseball. You can read a book on baseball, but if you're not out there actually hitting and throwing, you don't really get baseball. So you have to practice these skills and it's in doing so that you're going to learn. I can't resist giving a plug here for a great negotiating book that Mark said has also influenced him. The book is Never Split the Difference by FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss. We at Ed Curation read it as a company last year, and it was definitely my nonfiction book of the year. I go back to it again and again. It would be a great addition to Mark's book for your CTE, life skills, or advisory courses. I definitely wanted to ask you about this idea of a personal brand, which being someone of the older generation is not terminology that I grew up with. And I'm not even really sure I understand the idea of what a personal brand is, but how important is a personal brand? So for students who are graduating now wanting to enter the workforce and start a career, is this an essential piece of it? Personal brands are important, and I'll give you an example of how, but I would not worry about it before roughly age 25. Unless you happen to, at age 18 or 22, go into an industry and you are certain this is where you're going to be, sure, start to build it. Don't worry that much about it. It's not super critical at that age, but as you progress in your career, it matters. So what's a personal brand? It's basically your reputation or how you're perceived. One trivial example, if you walk into an interview, are you showing up in a t-shirt and shorts or are you showing up in a suit? That's going to signal something about you. I actually have two of my degrees from MIT. Someone hears a MIT degree, this guy, STEM, done. My brand, my personal brand, tech comes from that MIT. What people didn't believe is, do I know how to lead? How are my interpersonal skills? In fact, MIT typically has a negative correlation to those in the stereotype. And so it's how you are perceived. Now, it could be formal through credentials. It could also just be your reputation. My friend, Dory Clark, she has a really great technique. She says, go around to your coworkers and ask, please give me three adjectives that you think describe me. Get this from about 10 different people and then look for patterns. For me, a number of people might have said analytical, technical, intellectual. Okay, there's a clear pattern here. And if that personal brand, if how you're perceived aligns to your role, great. So if I want to be known as the technical lead, good. I really like those those attributes. But if I'm trying to be the coach and counselor and the person you turn to when you're just emotionally distraught, I don't know if technical and analytical are the the adjectives I want people to associate with me. So I have to recognize I have to shift my brand to the role that I want. But again, when you are early in your career, focus on just learning knowledge. So would you say that people have a personal brand, whether they've been intentional about it or not? I mean, we all present ourselves in a certain way. So we have a reputation, whether we built it on purpose. 100%. Uh 
we are always conveying information about ourselves. Now, some of it might be what we're putting online, and that could be your Instagram posts. Is it you doing a keg stand or is it you shaking hands with your boss? Have you been volunteering at the hospital? What are you posting about? We are always interviewing. Mm. When I am with my students and I'm teaching them, they're interviewing with me. They don't know it. I'm also interviewing with them. And so this exercise of getting the adjectives is probably a good one for people who don't have any idea what their personal brand is. They have it, they've built it, but they don't really have an understanding of what it is. So another thing you can do with your students, everyone does this exercise, and then they build up what are their lists, maybe their top five attributes, and look what they are for different people. Mm-hmm. And then you might think, okay, well, I like these three, but I don't know about those two. In fact, I'd like one from her list and one from his list. Okay, so if I want those other two attributes, what do I need to do to be perceived in that way? Mm-hmm. That's another easy exercise you can do with your students. So good. I kind of want to do it right now. (laughs) I mean, I have to send out some texts to some of my friends and get them going on my personal brand. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would really love to talk about or what you would love to share with our listeners? I create an app for the book. One thing that happens whenever you read a book like this or really any self-help book, you read the book and then three weeks later, you forget most of it. We know spaced repetition works. So what I created to help make the book more valuable is a free app available from the Android and iPhone stores. It's like a daily affirmation. If you went through my book with a highlighter, here's a key point, here's a good quote. Each day, it's just going to pop up one of those as a little notification on your phone. You look at, go, okay, right. That was a useful tip. Swipe it away. So it only takes a few seconds a day, but it gives that spaced repetition to reinforce the learning. It can also be used if, for example, you're about to go into an interview, you open it up and you go to the interview tips and you quickly flip through those and you get that refresher class or that, those refresher tips right before you walk in the interview. Because you're certainly not carrying the book. You probably didn't reread the chapter the night before. Mm-hmm. I built this app. I was shocked that this did not exist. So I went, I built it for my book, and I actually have a white label version that can be used for other books or other types of content that will hopefully come out later this year. Education that we call apprenticeship learning, where it's not just I'm downloading a bunch of information and then testing you on it and then we move on, but that those incremental adjustments that we make each day to improve our skills and to keep enhancing our knowledge and understanding of something. So the the app is just called the Career Toolkit? The Career Toolkit. Okay. You could also, as another exercise, you could combine this with journaling. In each of these chapters, there is a mindset shift. There's a difference between, well, networking is, I need a job. So I'm going to go, I'm going to network with you. Can you get me a job? That's not networking. That's needing. Networking is relationship building. It's let's just get to know each other, not because I need something from you today, Mm -hmm. because we're going to build a relationship. One day down the road, maybe you'll get me a job, maybe not, maybe something else. And you get that shift from the, I need to collect business cards to, I need to build relationships. So each chapter has this mindset shift. And then I mentioned actionable tips. How do you actually now build that relationship? But when you look at the mindset shift, you could have the students talk about how are you approaching this? How are you applying this? Or even taking one of those actionable tips and just saying, 
tell me about the three tips you used this past week. Let's write about it. And that again, to your apprenticeship point, mm-hmm. it's going to reinforce it. Not just you did it once, you're going to think about it. Yeah. So good. Do you have like a favorite success story from a certain student? One of my favorite success stories at the end of the class, we do a networking lunch and we tell the students, this is not about a career fair. It's not just handing out your resumes. We're going to bring in a bunch of people who are in the workforce. They're going to join us for lunch and you're just going to chat with them. Don't just walk up and say, do you have a job? Just meet people. The students are very nervous when this happens. <laughs> so we, I'm sitting with one of the groups of students and I felt like a mother bird trying to get her babies out of the nest. <laughs> the students start to wander off and this one girl just sits there. She is shy and nervous. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give her a hand here. I knew she was interested in operations research. One of my friends was there. He got his PhD in this area. He works in the area. So I walked her over, said, this is my friend I want you to meet. He works doing this. She's interested in operations research. You two should chat about what he does. And having a conversation, she was definitely nervous, but I knew he'd be warm and friendly. And after a few minutes, I back off. I go check on some of the other students. Hour and a half later, we give the signal. Everyone start to wrap up your conversations. We're ending this session. And I see her walk from someone, look around for someone else. And she says to me, no, I don't want this to end. This is so much fun. And it's really when you get that mindset shift. In this case, it was networking's icky. You talk to people, you get business cards. Why do I want to talk to strangers? To, oh, there are interesting people out there. Once she recognized this, it went from something she avoided to something she really enjoyed in that one moment. And that's really what a lot of these skills are about. When you get that light bulb moment, you're going to recognize opportunities to learn and develop these skills. And that's going to put you on a whole new path. You can find Mark, his book, and links to all of his resources and platforms in the episode notes and at thecareertoolkitbook.com. He has a free resource page with tons of great stuff, assessment tools, activities, case studies, and more. And you can download the Career Toolkit app for iPhone or Android. It's incredibly helpful and you got nothing to lose because it's free. You can also find today's sponsor, Mini Money Management, in the episode notes and at edcuration.com. Allison, a fifth grade teacher at Central Elementary School, says, Mini Money Management is such a valuable classroom management tool. At the touch of a finger, I'm able to embed financial literacy standards in our daily classroom routine and provide a lifetime skill for my students. Mini Money Management will guide you step-by-step in setting up your classroom economy, and right now they are offering a free pilot opportunity. If you have a favorite resource or topic you'd like to share on the Ed Curation Podcast, reach out to us through our website. And while you're there, you'll want to be sure to check out our fall webinar series, where you can learn about all kinds of important issues from experts and discover other great resources that will keep learning fresh, lively, and relevant in your classroom. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment, like, and share. And tune in again next week to help reshape learning with the Ed Curation Podcast.